Amen. Good to be with you and uh, to have this opportunity to share the Word of God. I always uh, look for opportunities. Uh, Don't have to look too far. We uh, keep busy uh, doing jail and prison ministry. I'm one of the um, the uh, volunteer chaplains at the prison, and um, so uh, I was there last Sunday, and we had two wonderful chapel services. There's one particular yard, Yard C, uh, that really um, opens up and worships the Lord, and of course there's almost all African Americans in there, and uh, they get with it, uh, and we have a great time uh, at the... Um, at that particular yard, and then there's another one, uh, yard um, A. And uh, so we were involved uh, this Sunday doing that, and then I actually was uh, ready to go through security and go out of the yard, and then an, uh, an officer, lady officer, came up to me, and she uh, said that uh, there is a guy there uh, in uh, his pod or his unit and uh, he is really under a lot of stress and emotional um, hurt because of losing a grandmother that had raised him pretty much uh, from uh, the time that he was born and she passed away and uh, he was feeling the loss of that and she said could you come on over and and uh, minister to him and talk to him, and so I said, sure, <laughs> why not? And uh, so I looked forward to that as I was on my way over there and uh, didn't know just what it would be like. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of uh, problems and needs that people have, and you don't usually find all, all of that out until you um, uh, have been talking to him for a while, but we got right into it. And uh, he had been raised a Baptist and then went into, uh, I don't know if it was after he was incarcerated or not, but became a Muslim for a number of years. And uh, then that wasn't satisfying to him and meeting a need. And so uh, he has been studying Buddhism uh, the last, uh, I don't know what, year or two. And so he's, uh, he's still searching, but very open. And his mother really wanted him to talk to a Protestant uh, chaplain so that uh, uh, somehow he could get back to God's Word, because she's a Christian, and uh, to the roots that he had come from. And uh, so uh, we found that he was very open and um, that uh, he was uh, ready to uh, talk and just open up, and and, uh, he was pretty broken of heart, but the Lord ministered to him and brought, I believe, a real breakthrough as we were talking and praying together and looking into the Word of God. So I believe that uh, Jerry is his name, if you'll remember him in prayer, Jerry Alexander, 44 years old and a uh, good-looking black brother, and uh, I believe he has a lot of potential to uh, really be used of the Lord if he, he uh, surrenders all to him. Uh, we have, as a family, have been um, going through a little bit of difficulty. Uh, we lost a grandson 
uh, from a, a vehicle that struck him uh, in Phoenix where he lived, 26 years old, and he died a few hours later. So um, we haven't shared that around very much, I guess, here at the church. Just uh, been, uh, we do have a, a lot of family in the area and other places that uh, have been very supportive and friends and different ones that we have known in ministry over the years. So um, uh, do pray for particularly uh, Sam. Uh, we call her Sam, but it's really Samantha. <laughs> and uh, our former daughter-in-law and uh, our son Rick, who lives in, uh, up here in Pine Grove, so he's not too far away. And uh, they have two other children, though, that have really been affected by, by this. And uh, then there's a couple of uh, great-grandchildren uh, over there in Arizona as well. So uh, remember my son Rick and then Sam and the children uh, as they're still uh, kind of going through the loss uh, that took place about a week before Christmas, as I recall. And uh, so we have um, declared that we're going to hold on and uh, we're not going to let go of the Lord and our faith and our anchor still holds, hallelujah, and it is gripped to the one and only solid rock, Christ Jesus. And uh, he has been faithful all of these years. Uh, we are celebrating our 60th anniversary of marriage, 60, this year in June. And uh, so uh, that's going to be exciting. We don't know exactly what we're going to do, although Teen Challenge uh, Hawaii uh, is celebrating um, something and uh, they're meeting together um, for a reunion, actually. Um, and uh, so we're not, we won't be going there because the reunion is here on the mainland, in the, here in the U.S. Uh, but it's over at Branson, so if you're going to go someplace, at least it's going to be a nice place, I think. So we're thinking about doing that because it's just uh, right around that time in June uh, when we celebrate our, our anniversary. <clears throat> I saw Patty. This is my better half or nine-tenths right here. <laughs> Um, but I, I saw her in a youth rally, about 700 young people at a church called Bethel Temple in the center or inner city of Los Angeles, not too far from uh, uh, Angeles Temple. And anyway, I was looking down from the platform because I was singing in the uh, Vanguard University, Southern California College. They have a lot of names they've gone through over the years. But anyway, in, in, their, uh, um, in their choir. And so uh, I was looking down and then I spotted her. <laughs> Way back, you know, somewhere about the middle and, you know. And I turned to the guy next to me in the choir and, uh, uh, and I nudged him and I said, See that gal there? And I pointed her out. and I said, that is the kind of girl I'd like to marry. And I didn't know who she was, what church she was from, because this was a rally of churches. The young people were coming from a lot of places. There were seven or 800 
uh, kids there. And, uh, but anyway, uh, I thought I was going to be able to get acquainted with her that night. But uh, she was with a group that left early, and I was spiritual, and I prayed at the altar and ministered to <laughs> some of the people that were there. And, uh, but as the Lord would have it, he uh, had everything under control. And so we were singing the Messiah. Uh, it was around Christmas time, and so uh, we were at a local church there in the Glendale area. And uh, lo and behold, there she was. And so this time I did get acquainted. And uh, long story short, the first time that she met um, my mother, because I didn't know any of this background until this, as far as her and I uh, both being born in Denver um, and uh, just many, many common things. But anyway, uh, she, my mother... Uh, said he, Patty, what was your mother's maiden name? You say you went to uh, what church? And that was Denver Revival Tabernacle. And that was the church that Catherine Kuhlman pastored. So she was uh, both of our mother's pastor, actually, during that uh, particular time. And um, so anyway, uh, she says when she found out who Patty's mother was, and uh, my mother said, well, Patty, I can't believe it. We lived in the same area of Denver, and uh, she said, you know, we went to the same high school, I think. And so we were comparing notes on that, and uh, sure enough, the mothers were in the same class and knew each other, and uh, so... My mother, though, to find that out, she said, Patty, uh, what was your mother's maiden name? And she told her, she said, I can't believe it. I, ch I used to change your diapers. <laughs> so, and we both got embarrassed, you know. And, oh, Ma, come on. But anyway, when I was, we were going out the door and I was going to take her, take her home. Um, anyway, I turned to my mother and I said, this is it. <laughs> this is the one. So well, the Lord uh, brought us together, and we've had 60 years not only of marriage, but of ministry, actually. If you go back the 60 years, we were in college, and I was the student body president and uh, took teams out onto the streets and in the jails and different places, you know. And so we were involved in ministry way back there. I was a youth pastor twice during those years, so anyway, it's been 60 years, that's uh, been good, good years, we praise God for it, thought you would like to get a little bit, bit of a background and know us a little bit more, Luke chapter 10, you were talking about chapter 8, <laughs> let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 10, and um, I'm going to share some thoughts from the parable of the Good Samaritan, now, I know that you're very familiar with it, and you're maybe a little bit more familiar with the um, part that talks about the Good Samaritan himself and what he did, how he came across this uh, man that was left for half dead. And, uh, but I'm going to do something a little different, 
And uh, maybe some other time I can talk more about the Good Samaritan himself and the um, attitude that he had toward uh, this person and knowing that he was someone that was uh, needing help, needed a neighbor. Um, and so anyway, but before all that, there's these other characters that are in the story. I don't know whether this would be a true story or not, um, but uh, a parable uh, is one that uh, brings comparisons and it um, is kind of like an, an analogy uh, that uh, gives uh, some truth and some perspective of uh, something. And so we, we're not sure whether for sure it's a, a, a true story that Jesus uh, had gone through and knew about this or whether he just made it up knowing that uh, it was meant for this particular attorney or um, a person that was uh, in law. But turn with me to uh, chapter 10 of Luke and uh, reading at verse 25, we're going to be looking at the attitudes of these other characters that are here in this parable. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he said, Teacher, you asked, uh, he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus responds and says, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And so the attorney uh, says, Well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied and said, You've answered correctly. Now do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? I think really he wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to uh, kind of put Jesus in a little uh, trap or put, his, put him up against the wall and um, see really uh, what he uh, was made of and whether he really uh, had the truth. So he wanted to justify himself and uh, said, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, uh, this man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity or compassion. We were singing about concern and love that God had for us, and God wants that love that he imparts to us to be uh, given to others, and we uh, need to show that and demonstrate that in practical ways as we see here. So there was this priest. He passed by on the other side. A Levite, another religious leader, came 
and he passed by uh, also on the other side. Maybe this um, uh, guy that was half dead, uh, you know, bloody, uh, probably like, have you ever seen these cage fights? <laughs> After five rounds, what they, some of them look like, well, I would imagine that this guy on the road uh, from um, Jerusalem to Jericho looked something like that. So he went to him, this, uh, okay, so that was the uh, religious uh, people, the Pharisees there. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him and went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, took care, and he took care of him. So he not only... Uh, took him to the inn, we don't hear too much about the fact that he stayed and that he himself uh, probably washed his wounds more and was up at night with him and it just was there to uh, minister um, a help to him in his condition. And so it says that he took him to the inn and he said, um, take care of him. And he gave some money. The next day he took out, actually it was the next day, uh, took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And uh, he said to him, and when I return, so the man was going to work probably, and, but it was going to pass by again and see how things were. And uh, so he says, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then in verse 36 and 37 it says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The attorney, the expert in the law, replied, The one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. You're learning who you're true neighbor is. Now, there's a saying that goes like this, and you've said it before, I'm sure, a time or two or more. There's nothing new under the sun. And in some ways, that's true about this uh, parable. The ingredients of it, what you hear about violence and crime, racial uh, discrimination, hatred for others, neglect, a lack of concern. Uh, all of these things uh, we're familiar with. We read in, uh, we don't read the papers anymore. We get our news from other sources mostly, whether it be from our iPhone or social media sites that we would go to. But anyway, Christ in this parable talks about things that we can relate to in our society and our culture today. Not only in the negative aspect of it, but also in the positive. Christ talked about love. This uh, Samaritan looked and saw this man in that condition and felt compassion. Felt compassion. So first there was the looking and seeing him in his need. 
and having a revelation of what he could do if he had the right perspective of who this person was as being his neighbor. And um, so there was love that was spoken of, that Jesus talked about. There was also in verse 37, mercy. Are you thankful for God's mercy when we're undeserving of it? Well, that's what Jesus said. The one who showed mercy on him is the one that is the neighbor. So the Bible is relevant, amen? Relevant to us in this day and age in which we live. Now the story was given by Jesus because a a lawyer had asked him a question. The question simply was, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus uses this as a, this question as a springboard, as an opportunity to uh, teach some important lessons and truths. And the, the heart and soul of it, the takeaway, I believe, that you can get uh, from this is that you cannot separate your relationship with God from your fellow man from those around you, people you live with, work with, play with, whatever it might be. And so the, 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 the reversal is true. You can't separate your relationship with others from your relationship with God. One will affect the other, impact the other. So we're going to look at the, these characters here and uh, the attitudes. We're talking about attitudes. Not necessarily all of the Beatitudes, but uh, there are some uh, lessons that we can uh, relate to and apply to our lives. There were the thieves that I read to you about. What were their attitude? Well, they saw this person as one that they could take advantage of. That they could do whatever it took to get what he had for themselves. There was a priest and Levite, two religious leaders. What was their attitude? They were in a hurry. (laughs) I'll be late for uh, getting home or appointment or whatever it might be. And so they, they were a bother. I mean, this man was a bother to uh, the priest and the Levite. A nuisance, someone to avoid. The lawyer, the uh, expert in the law. Uh, The attitude I believe I see in it, in verses, um, whatever it is here that it refers uh, to him, about him, talking with Jesus, It could be that he saw this as a problem. And uh, so he dialogued. He, as we kind of have a new word that seems to be used in the political realm a lot, having a conversation. (laughs) You ever hear hear that lately? Yeah, we need to have another conversation. And uh, well, anyway, he saw it as a problem to talk about, to discuss and have a conversation over. The in-host, the innkeeper. What was his attitude? We're not sure. 
but it could be that he saw him uh, as someone that uh, was just a customer, someone to serve, someone to provide uh, a place to live or stay for the night. And, uh, but he know, knew something, and that was he was going to get something back in return and paid for what he did. So we don't know all of, the, all of this, but here, here's what we, I believe God wants to say to us tonight in looking at these individuals. First of all, in verse 30, there's the thieves. And um, they didn't see uh, this man that was walking down the road uh, from Jerusalem to um, Jericho. They didn't see him as a person of respect, a fellow human being, somebody that uh, uh, should be left alone and, and not uh, bothered, not hurt. Um, but they saw him, um, instead of seeing him in the image of God, they saw him that there was something that they could get from him. Their philosophy was something like this. What is mine is mine, and what yours is mine. And uh, so whatever it took, they were willing to do it. There was a, um, a successful uh, businessman. He was an insurance salesman. And uh, he was talking to somebody one day about um, his business, but also some of the things of the Lord, because the other person was a Christian as well. And uh, he said, you know, I, I really have to pray for the Lord's help in, in my business and my relationships there, uh, to keep Christ first in every aspect of the business and my life, uh, especially in relationships, because when I meet a new friend, I, I have a tendency, he said, to uh, think about, you know, wonder how much insurance they have. <laughs> wonder if I can, uh, you know, bring the conversation to a point where I can be able to talk to him about that. And uh, then the Lord began to deal with his heart. And he said, you know, I should really be looking at every new person as not only being a prospective customer and making some money from them, but I also need to see them through the eyes of the Lord. That they are a soul, and they're going to spend eternity somewhere, in either heaven or hell. And so God was speaking to his heart. And um, so I think that we need to remember when it comes to relationships, whether they be in the home in the office, or wherever it may be, that God gave us things to use and people to love and not the other way around. But we spend a lot of time and effort to get the money, to get more goodies and things, thinking that will be the fulfillment of the emptiness that we might feel We need to take, we, we cannot take from others 
and fail to give in some way to them as well. It's easy for parents to, um, and this is what I'm trying to get at, is using people, exploiting others in some way, taking advantage of them in whatever setting that might be. And uh, whether it's in the home, there was one 12, 13-year-old girl that said, I don't feel like I'm really a child here. I feel like I'm the mother because she had a mother that allowed, you know, just uh, everything to uh, be disruptive and... uh, dirty and, un- and unkept and uh, so this, uh, this girl said I stay home and I, I do much of the work uh, while my mother is running around and doing what she wants to do and uh, so eventually she just lost faith in her mother and her parents and started getting into trouble and uh, she eventually broke the heart of her parents because they did not uh, see her really a- a- and communicate with her the love that they should. We're looking at this whole aspect of how we treat others. I remember uh, a guy in Teen Challenge, we, we had started Teen Challenge in several places. One is Southern California. Uh, back in the very early days was the early founder of it in 1963. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, when we went to Hawaii and took a team and started Teen Challenge there, there was a guy by the name of Victor, Victor, Victor Guzman. And Victor had been in jail. He had uh, there was a robbery and he and this other guy uh, accidentally the gun went off or something and anyway the store owner died and so he was up for uh, manslaughter or something like that but anyway he was into drugs as well and he came to Teen Challenge and um, God just transformed his life beautifully and we he was there being discipled and uh, growing in his faith and his walk with the Lord and uh, he really was one that was very glib uh, and able and, you know, when it comes to, um, I use that word glib, uh, probably not the best one. But anyway, he had a, a way of communicating, impressing people and, and uh, influencing others. And uh, he had a wonderful testimony and he gave it uh, wonderfully and uh, it blessed a lot of people. We, uh, we, we always in Teen Challenge found that uh, some of the better and more effective staff workers that we had um, came from the ex-addicts, the ex-criminals and so on themselves that had been discipled. And uh, so we had mostly those type of people on our staff. Well... We, we took him to church, and they would give their testimony sometimes. Uh, Victor, uh, we allowed him uh, to 
get up and give his testimony a lot sooner than probably we should have, allowed him to go to schools uh, and give his testimony in school assemblies and classrooms and PTA meetings and what have you, you know, on a drug educational uh, kind of basis as we did. And we reached about 100,000 young people every school year there in Hawaii. And uh, so bottom line is that we we were kind of insensitive. We were using him on staff as a volunteer staff person and somebody for their testimonies and not thinking of, you know, how this would affect him in the sense of um, his ego, his feeling of importance, his ability or inability to take a lot of adulation, you know. Oh, a real-life ex-drug addict, you know. (laughs) I mean, people in the churches in those days, we're talking about back in the 70s there, uh, was a big thing. No big thing now. But in those days, you know, you just didn't have hardcore heroin addicts that drilled a dirty needle in their arms for 15 or 20 years, you know, and breaking into homes and businesses and having to support a $200 a day habit. Uh, anyway, you, we, we allowed him and used him in a way that we shouldn't have too early, too quickly, before he was strong, stable, discipled and trustworthy in his walk and in his faith. I hate to say that he has passed on now uh, from an overdose of drugs. He was in and out of serving the Lord for many years. And um, so I, I just bringing that up to this whole area of how we treat others, how we... Um, take advantage of others for our own gain and purpose, whether it's a in the church setting, a parachurch ministry like Teen Challenge, or in any other kind of setting. You see, G- Jesus never exploited a person, never took advantage. He always gave back much more than he ever required. He did say, yes, follow me, take up your cross and follow me. What did we get in return? (laughs) Hallelujah. So much more. So much better. Hallelujah. It's just like we didn't really give anything in comparison to what we have now in the Lord. So Jesus always gave back much more. He always left a person in better shape than when he first found him. And here's another thing in our ministries. The Lord Lord considers the worker more important than the work. A principle that is vital for successful ministry. We didn't do that with Victor. Sorry to say. But the Lord does have a heart for that worker 
And if we take care of them, we have the right attitude and respect and all. Um, the work is going to take care of itself. The ministry is going to take care of it. So we need to be careful in uh, asking ourselves uh, and thinking, maybe not even saying it, uh, what can I benefit by this other person? Otherwise, if we don't, if we're not sensitive in that area, we will have an attitude just like the thieves. We may not hurt, bruise, injure, beat up, leave somebody half dead. Do you, you know that at our attitude in the area of our words, in our actions, our demands, whether it's in the home, wherever we are, in whatever setting, we need, there's just an important principle and lesson here that we can learn from uh, these thieves in this uh, parable. Okay, time's slipping by here. The priest and the Levite, uh, in verse 31 and 32, uh, they avoided, they went, on, they went by. Uh, on the other side, both of them, you would have expected two religious leaders, uh, if anybody were going to be stopping and helping this victim, uh, it would be them. But instead they left him in that condition. We don't know why. We could just surmise um, why that might have happened. A couple reasons or excuses that they, they could have defended themselves with. Uh, one could be that you, we've been serving in the temple. We've been busy in Jerusalem. We've been serving the Lord, Jehovah God. And uh, so we've, we've done our duty. We've, you know, we deserve a weekend break or whatever it might be. <laughs> and uh, there's many Christians that use that in some ways. When it comes to personal ministry or evangelism, and, uh, you know, we base it upon, well, we have, we're teaching a class or we're serving on that committee or we're involved in praying for people here at the altar, whatever it might be. But we need to have a sensitive ear and a heart to be able to say, who's my neighbor? How can I meet that need or that need uh, as we go along? All of these things, committees, everything else, none of that can be a substitute. They're all good, all necessary, but it can't be a substitute. Another thing they could have said, if I've been away from home for, uh, you know, several days, I'm late, I'm in a hurry, I'm too busy, I can't stop. Another one uh, could be that uh, let somebody else do it. Two religious leaders. Uh, the priest could have said, well, I know that the Levite is behind me somewhere coming up. <laughs> and so if I kind of pass this one by and 
I'll just let him do it. And when the Levite showed up, he could have said, you know, the priest didn't do anything. Why do I have to do anything? <laughs> so there's, you know, always an excuse. You can always point a figure. You can find justification if you're looking for it. Uh, to neglect serving and ministering to somebody that may be your neighbor. Failure to do a good thing, somebody has said, is as sinful and bad as doing a bad thing, an evil thing. It's just called the sin of omission instead of commission. James says it this way in chapter 4 and verse 17, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if we go through life day by day, thinking about ourselves and our family and our needs, uh, uh, other people will seem like they're a nuisance, just like these two religious leaders looked upon this victim as being. We need to be looking for opportunities. Just like I mentioned um, <clears throat> there at uh, the jail on Sunday or the prison. The lawyer, he was a problem to discuss, as I mentioned. And uh, I think I got off base there. I was talking about, uh, I went back to the other. So <laughs> we'll just leave that alone and we'll end up with the uh, in-host. And what was the attitude again that I had mentioned earlier? Customer, service, remuneration, fulfillment, money, satisfaction, recognition, Recompense, something in return. Perhaps the host would have assisted this innkeeper, would have assisted the victim without any kind of payment. But there are some Christians today who serve others mainly because maybe it's their job, their duty, their assignment, they've been appointed but it's not coming from the heart. You know, motive has everything to do with what we do for Lord in the area of ministry and service. You can have the right message. You can have the right methods to reach your goal. But you need a right um, motivation. It's possible to do a good thing without having the right kind of motive, the proper motive. So we need to look at what we do. Why do I do what I do? I have to take stock of that quite a bit of the time, over many years. 
Lord, why am I involved in this? Why am I doing it? Is this your real calling? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing now? Or is it later? And so we need to ask ourselves, why, what, why, what, what am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Sunday school class, serving on a committee, church board. There's a certain amount of fulfillment in ministry. But as great and wonderful as that is and that fulfillment that we might feel, that should not be because we enjoy it and we feel good about it and we, we feel fulfilled in it. All of those are important and needed, but we need to have the right motivation and that's doing it for God because he has called us and we're obeying and we're doing what he wants us to do. And really it's how much we relate to the Lord in a loving relationship, doing it for him and not for ourselves and not for others. So we need to seek always to please our Lord and Savior. The eternal rewards and blessings and satisfaction is so important. And so these are some of the attitudes, some of the things uh, I've I kind of missed a little bit on what I had written down. But uh, sometime we'll talk about maybe uh, the Good Samaritan. But uh, I really feel that we can all relate to some of these and, uh, and ask the Lord today um, to help us as we have the right message. He's given us guidance, strategies, his direction. May we then take that with the motive to accomplish uh, what God has called us to. We have uh, some big things coming up as a church. And uh, we all need to be a part of it. Father, we thank you tonight for the message of this evening. We pray that we'll examine some of these attitudes. We'll look at some of these characters. We'll look at the thieves, the priest and the Levite, the lawyer, the unhost. And even the victim, we haven't even said anything about him much. We may be feeling tonight like a victim in some way. Or we know of others, or we come across others who are hurting, and they've been a victim to something. The enemy, somebody taking advantage of them. I just pray right now that you'll help us to make a fresh commitment of our life, our time, our giftings. Lord, may we hear your call. May we follow you. And we, as that song goes, go, I'll go where you want me to go.
And like one church that we were at one day, that as we drove out of the parking lot, it is, there were signs at every exit. You are now entering your mission field. May we see our world around us that way. May we see our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues at school or on the job as our neighbor. And may we serve them, minister, be a blessing. We commit everyone that's here, Lord, to you and to your purposes. May we walk in your ways. May we hear your voice and may we follow and be obedient until that day when we see you face to face. In Christ's name we pray.